seated. I will be seated because you said you liked me kinder. So I told you the last time I was seated because I tended to be kinder and you told me that worked for you. So I will say seated again. This morning I want to talk to you in sort of the second part of the book of Exodus. We began with uh, the, the early stages of Moses' life and I probably overstated it that I was actually going to take you somewhere. So, but I'm one, if I talk big, I need to deliver big. So let's take you somewhere today. Here's what it looks like. Moses began his life with just a, a number of things we talked about. I'm not going to rehearse uh, the message last time, but we'll give you a couple of principles in just a moment. But one of the distinct things we will discover about Moses was that there was a, a descriptor of his spirit. I want to take you for just a moment to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. You know, the first five books of the Bible, often called the Pentateuch. Some of you are going, I don't, I don't think it's often called that. I've, I've never heard that word. Uh, in, my, in my circles, it's common language. It's at the end of the Pentateuch. So you, you can flash that anytime you want this week. <laughs> May not win any points for you. But at the end of the, the uh, book of Deuteronomy, there's this great leadership transition. It's actually written about in business books. It's one of the great leadership transitions of history, especially one of the great leadership transitions of the Bible. It's when uh, Moses is passing off the scene. He's mentored two younger chaps, and it's now their time. They were told they were going to enter the promised land, and somebody else besides Moses is going to take them there. And so we have descriptors of their spirit. Just listen. It says of Moses, he was a man whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, whenever you're reading scripture, notice what it says and notice what it doesn't say. We often reference it as what we wished it said, which is a subtle difference from what it actually says. It does not say Moses knew the Lord face to face. It's the exact opposite. You see, very often we want something for us. But as long as we're the ones seeking, we're the ones who want to know God face to face, you're still in control. When God knew Moses face to face, he was absolutely out of control. It was awkward and uncomfortable. But very significant for the soul. Moses, a man whom the Lord knew face to face. Joshua, a man in whom was the spirit. That's his descriptor. It's called the spirit of wisdom for us. And then Caleb. Caleb got the fun one. Caleb was a guy who had a different spirit. You go, I want one of those. Be prepared. Caleb had a different spirit. For you see, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly all of his days. And in his group of people, which had this dreadful culture of complaint... He stood out among them as one who never got caught up in it. And he stayed clear and strong and focused for his entire lifetime, regardless of what went on around him. 
So here's my sense that it's not just these three, but you can go out throughout the, the Bible and you'll find descriptors of people's spirits. Yeah, you know a bunch of them. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, but it appears like he gave himself that title. <laughs> you could do that. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do by the end of our time together. What might be the descriptor of your spirit? You know this. Whenever there's a group of people together and you walk away, you know this. Whether anybody articulates it or not, there's, there's a sense. People sense it, feel it. And they say inside their own head, I love it when she's around. He's a good dude. I actually have had people say, when that person's around, I feel loved by God. Not loved by them, loved by God. You also know the other side. Somebody walks you away and you go, glad they're gone. <laughs> or, ooh, do they know they're that bad? Or how does anyone live with them? You know those phrases? They've run in your head. So here's the deal. In the next 20-some minutes, you, you kind of get to decide. What's the descriptor of your spirit? It's one thing if it's true in your head. It'll be another thing if it's true in reality. Let's make sure as much as possible that it's true in reality. Let's do this, shall we? So the descriptor of your spirit's a unique thing. Today we want to develop some depth in your soul. Last time we decided we were going to root out all the tough stuff. Now this time is to take a look at your descriptor and what happens next. So it's time to connect deeply with God. I told you we were going to take you somewhere. So the last time we said, look, in order to get there, you've got to deal with just the human stuff. We don't need you to be better religiously. We just need you to be better people. Just better people. And I can tell, some of you took it seriously. You look better. <laughs> now, if there's anyone who didn't get it, um, the people beside you are now, their heads are going down. Because they're going, she didn't get it. So with, uh, with all of this, let's update your view of you. Your view of you, your soul. Yourself, let's update the view. We covered it last time. I'm not going to rehearse it. I just want to uh, recreate the principles for you. It goes like this. It's like just honestly see what's there and what's not there. We're, we're going to have to update. That's our next slide. But sometimes you keep views of yourself around far too long. You go, I'm, and you fill in the blank. And the people closest to you go, Really? I thought you left that behind a long time ago. I am, I was, I do, I still do. You know the phrases. If we're going to move ahead to the kind of depth we're talking about, it's time to update those views, those phrases, and actually figure out how am I going to get rid of these things? In order to do that, we've also got to deal with the deepest of emotions that we talked about last time. We also talked about confessions. One of the greatest things is just make sure your confessions are current. 
Are there any leftover secrets, any lies, any of that kind of stuff that's still around? I hoped this was more of a Canadian and American thing. But in the few weeks I've been here, oh, you guys have it too. Uh, just in the last two weeks. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being cheeky nor attempting to be funny. It's not funny. It's real. And I've been with some of you. It's real. But I have no idea why we'd leave those around, but sometimes we do. We said, it's a trusted friend, sometimes called a life confession. Bible says, bring it all into the light. Not the cleaned up parts, not the kind that are acceptable, but all of it. Then we said, let's deal with deeper emotion. And we happened to mention anger, and I talked about a little booklet called Releasing Anger, and apparently a number of you thought someone you knew needed that. And so we have them for you. And they're out there someplace. Where? They're out there someplace, find them. They're, they're probably floating and you can reach up and grab them. I have no idea. <coughs> As I said, of all the books on anger, this is the only one I recommend because it's really short. <laughs> Written by the publishers of addictions literature and it's just so direct. It's actually, very, very good for people. So, now let's update. I love updates. It's just time to update your view of yourself. What may no longer be true? Update your, update your view of you, but also update your view of those around you. Sometimes people find it hard as they get older to go back home. You know this. Because when you go back home, they remember all the stupid stuff you did when you were a kid. And they rehearse it again and again and again. Hey, remember when you, and you're going, that was 25 years ago. Have you not moved on? No, not when it's a fun story about you. I still like to tell it. And so we, we have to do it not just for ourselves, but in relationships. I mentioned the executive couples coaching conference that I've done for more than 20 years, always at a nice spot at a resort for Wall Street folk and their friends. And one of the questions, we base it on 25 questions couples don't ask. I'm now up to 50 questions. I hate to say that because a bunch of you are gonna stop me after service or you're gonna email me, I want the 50 questions. You don't get them. Because you gotta take care of the first three first. There's no sense in giving you 50. Take care of the first ones. And one of them is updating your view of the people you live with. Updating so significant. Because if one of you in a relationship of any sort somehow was less than your best a decade ago, very often the people who love you most at the, your worst moments will bring it up. I'll give you mine. Uh, in our marriage, Diana at one point said, I, I really hate when you do this. It was clear, I took care of it. I said, I will, I apologize, I will take care of that. And I did. We were driving along one time, all four kids were in the car and out of the blue, she was not happy with me. God alone would know why. 
because in my mind, I'm the nicest guy I know. But not everybody close to me sees it the same way every time. And just like that, she goes, you always do this. No need to defend. I just pulled the car over the side of the road. I'm, I drive on that side, so I pulled this way. You would pull this way. <laughs> and, and I put it in park, turned it off, and I just turned the kids and I said, this will be three minutes or less. And I just turned to her and I said, how long's it been? How long's it been? She goes, okay, it's been a while. I said, no, 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 come on. How long's it been? You asked me, I took care of it. How long's it been? She goes, okay, it's been a long time. It's not that I want credit. We, this is a big one for us. We have to update. How long has it been? She goes, apparently you have it in your head. And I go, oh, I have it in my head. It's written down. Because you asked. I took care of it. It's been five and a half years. Now, don't be hard on her. I'm not. We do this to each other. Five and a half years. Come on, a lot of us are hoping for an attaboy. Scratch behind the ear, attaboy. <laughs> like, we're like a puppy. Come on, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. If we don't update our view of other people, you're probably not going to update your view of yourself. It's time to update, folks. You can't move ahead. If you don't update, let's update. Come on, let's update. So the next part in Moses' journey is to go, okay, we really are, we, now it's time to draw near and figure out what the filling actually looks like. What does the filling actually look like? When we left Moses, he had run away. His emotion had gotten out of control. He actually killed somebody, hid the person, hid himself, ran away. That's what people do. Pharaoh, literally the king, found out about it and said, you kill one of mine, I'm taking your life. And so they came and sent for Moses to find him and kill him. He got out of this, went his own way, but he did what he did best. He hid. He ran and he hid. I don't know if you're one of those. But it's kind of the easiest things for humans to do. You run, you hide. One of the things we'll discover in this passage is that Moses not only hid from the people around him, he also hid from God. The text actually tells us that he hid his face from God. When you read through Moses' life, notice two key words among all others. He hid and the idea of face. Remember the descriptor of his, his spirit? A man whom the Lord knew face to face. It was an entire journey to move from someone who hid, hid his own face and hid his face from God to where I'm going to get you just in the next few minutes to someone who became such a connected person to God that he actually knew God face to face. So here we go, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you need, there is this great hope that in just a few steps, face to face, 
connecting deeply with God. He knows you, you know him. Then there's something so striking about your character that it's evident to those around you. So that when you walk away from a group, they're not going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they're going, I love it when they're around. There's something distinct about their character. He's a good bloke. She's got a fun, weird charm about her, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. We sometimes don't know what to call it, but it's evident. So here we catch up with Moses. And he's now representing all of his people before God. Actually, the throne of God. We've just gone through this, this whole narrative of the people getting annoyed. It's been 40 years. We're not happy. The culture of complaint. A culture of complaint, you understand. So they created this golden calf. They were dancing around. And uh, God goes, seriously? Seriously? This, this is what you've reduced yourselves to? And he goes, look, I've, ha I've had enough. It's really bad when God looks at you and goes, I've had enough. You don't want to get there. That's why I'm giving you what I'm giving you today. You, you don't want to get there. And when that happened, God said, look, I, I've had enough. And Moses stepped in. And he actually said, I'm looking at the narrative of chapter 32. And again, in verse 32, he goes, God, please, please forgive their sin. And then he said, or else if you can't, blot my name out of the book of life. Oh, that's big stuff. God, please forgive them or take away my everlasting life. This is a man who couldn't find his own voice. When God asked him to come and follow him and lead the people, he goes, I can't. I, 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 I don't speak well. Um, he said, I, I'm, I don't like it. I'm not eloquent. No, wrong person. Here I am. Send Aaron. Send somebody else, but don't send me. Now he's standing in the presence and going, God, you can't do this, buddy. Come on. If you're going to, take my life. Bought my name out of the book of life. Pretty strong. Very strong, actually. And he goes on into chapter 33. I'm just going to give you some new narrative. And God and Moses have a unique exchange. And the Lord says, if you go, my presence will now go with you. And I'll give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't even send us. Your life's different than Moses. Thank God. You're not wanted for murder. You haven't had to hang out forever with complaining people. Mostly. But you see, the presence of God is a unique thing that's available to mere mortals like us. And Moses took it so seriously. He said, God, if your presence isn't going to be with us, don't send us. I don't know if you've ever been through the darkest days of the soul. I have. I have more than I wish. Just recently, I've taken a look back and went, 
probably have between Diana's illness and the time since almost a decade of, it's not time lost, it's just hard to have perspective on that time. Just sort of, it's a little nebulous. I can't remember dates and time frames, etc. In the midst of that, I felt like I went to hell and back a couple times. By the way, I learned something. If you feel like you're in hell, don't stop. Because you stay there. Keep going. Keep going. Easy for me to say, but if you sit there feeling dreadful, you'll stay there a really long time. And we have descriptors of it. You remember Churchill's, this depression thing he had. He called it the black dog. It's now been written about, etc. Earlier when we sang the things we prayed about, actually depression was mentioned. One of the things I notice about people here, you don't admit that stuff very well. Um, it's not just the blokes who don't, although blokes you don't. Uh, you're not at your best, you say. Going through a tough time. Let's call it what it is. Kind of really low. You may have crossed over. I'm not here to play amateur psychotherapist with you. It's just if you don't acknowledge what's there, you can't and won't move ahead. It's just how, it's how the world works. It's how the psyche works. And remember, psyche is not just psychology. It's a study of the soul. So whatever's there, you got to go after it. Not what you wish you had, but what you actually, actually have. So as we take a look at this, I'm going to ask you to replace what once was with what now can become. So it's time to update all sorts of things. You've moved ahead. Move ahead. Update your view of yourself. Update your view of other people. Update your view of God. Update them. Fill it with the best of God. Go for the deep life changes. Not just the quick fixes. Let's, let's do this. And then finally, notice the Moses as a case study of life change. We went from afraid of God to a friend of God. A descriptor of him. To someone who knew God face to face. It's an odd, the last time this is mentioned, it's actually odd word usage in the original language. It's literally mouth to mouth. Now, please don't freak out on this one. We're, we're, not, we're not talking um, odd connection points here. But what we are connect, what we are talking, Moses had gotten a place where he talked to God and God listened and he talked back. They had become, the, the word, it's the same words that are often used as uh, those who are very close, not quite cross over to lover, but almost, almost. Deep, deep connection. Remember? The presence. Remember the presence. We'll talk about it a bit more in just a moment. So if we're going to live in this freedom and fullness, let's, um, let's get this. Now, in your world, I, there's no sense in me talking about this for any length of time. What does fullness look like in your life? When you go, oh, I'm full. 
in a good way. What's that like? Describe it. Get a sense of it. These are sensory motifs. That's why it's no sense in me describing it, <coughs> excuse me, describing it for you. What's it like for you to have fullness? You know, my, my analogy in North America is both Canada and the U.S. have a thing called Thanksgiving. And it's more families get together then than any other time in the year. And you eat ridiculous amounts. And there's always someone. It's usually Uncle Weird Guy. <laughs> Every family has one. Don't act like they don't. And he leans back. And nobody wants him to do this. But he unfastens the, his pants. Please, please stop. And he goes, I'm so full I can't eat anything else. And then very soon afterwards, somebody said, but we have desserts. <laughs> you go, okay, I, I, I can do some dessert. <laughs> Fullness. You describe it for you. It's a good image to say, God, I've never thought about it with you, but yeah, take, take me there. Please take me there. I want the fullness. Whenever we talk about, we do weekends called Welcoming the Spirit. We do all sorts of things. Try to connect people deeply with God. And the descriptors of people who have been through this and something good happened to them, there's usually three words they use. I feel free. Come on, in a human condition, that's like a really great thing. I feel free. I feel full. And frankly, people talk about fun. Christian folks talk about joy. But even the best book on the Holy Spirit is called Joy Unspeakable. Who doesn't want joy unspeakable? Free, full, fun. Frankly, being with you, there's a bit of a fun deficit in the room. If I was you, I'd take care of the first two so the fun can come. But it doesn't just happen. We press on with God. And then we press into the deeper stuff. And then it takes longer than we wish it would. And it's harder than we think it should be. So we stop partway through. You press on, you press in, you have to press through. I'm having conversations with talented younger leaders, both genders, and I'm saying to them, in your circles, let me just be honest, in your circles, you may not know anyone who's ever pressed through. It's very likely that everyone you know has stopped short. That's not harsh. It's just sheer reality. In your circles, most have stopped short. And so... The next generation is saying to you, will you be the one who models this for us? Will you be the one? Some are actually going, please be the one. Because we're kind of tired of religion. We're kind of tired of church as is. We're kind of tired of being a nicer dressed up version of ourselves. Can we go clear through with this? wrap this up. I want to, and look on your face, you want me to. I can read an audience pretty well, even when the lighting's not great. So here we go. 
case study, I'll give you a personal one of my current existence. I gave you a bit of this the last time I was with you. Let me give you an update. When I look at my life, with, uh, whether it's by myself or with a good therapist, by the way, I discovered in the last few years, I have a, a high, disproportionate number of friends who are therapists. I don't know what that says about me. But I have lots, and they all volunteer to help. I don't know what that means either. I think that one's fairly obvious. But when I talk to them, here's, what, here's our summary. I have had, going way back in my life, I've had a disproportionate amount of loss. Ridiculous amounts. Oldest brother killed in a car accident. Father died as soon as I turned 15. Um, early on, grandfather that I farmed with died suddenly. My oldest brother went to war in Vietnam. Nine guys went over together, only two came home alive. He came back as a hopeless alcoholic. I lost my brother. I lost all the men in my family by the time I was just, had just turned 15. Disproportionate amounts of loss. Disproportionate amounts of pain. And kind of disproportionate amounts of just having to be alone. The newest one is my kids of all but one moved clear to the west side of the U.S. Um, by the way, uh, since I was with you last, my twin granddaughters were born. And every, everyone's good. However, uh, you can figure up uh, the kilos. Combined weighed 16 pounds. How my daughter did that, I have no idea. That's like ridiculous. Big genetics in the family, I guess. <laughs> but they don't live near me. They don't live near me. Now, on the other side, is when I'm around, I know this myself, but when I'm with people, they go, Martin, you're weird. And I go, I know, but which part are you talking about? And they go, you have, you have just ridiculous amounts of joy. And then they start to rehearse how much my life is bad. As if I don't know. And they go, well, you have this odd joy. And you have disproportionate amounts of love in your life. I know. It's young and old and male and female and kids. I do. Love and affection, it's ridiculous. I like it. It's unusual. And almost everybody who knows me goes, Martin, you may have more fun in your life than anybody I know. And I go, I know. A, you need better friends. And B, I do. How do these two go together? I can tell you. Please don't drop into religious mode. Religious mode is, yeah, when you go through the toughest times in life, it helps you to really connect deeper with God. May or may not be true. Sometimes it just gets harder because you're going, why, why wasn't he there more? See, it's the lenses with which you look at your life. I can take a look at my life and go, this is no fun. Or I can look at it and go, yeah, it's not been fun. However, I get to have this kind of life. So depending on how you look at my life, it's either, ooh, the life no one wants, or B, 
dude, you get to have a life that most everybody wants. I, mean, I know, I know. May you have, as the Bible says, eyes to see. Eyes to see. Ask for them. Ask for them. There's a few key adjustments will make an absolute world of difference. Here we go. Let's wrap it up completely. If we're going to make this happen, it's desire. What do you want? With follow through. Get there. Get there. There's an old analogy that works for some people. I'll give it to you. Often some of us will sit and ask God to help. God do this. God show me. And in those moments, your life is like a ship with a rudder. A rudder doesn't work unless you're moving forward. You can do everything you want with that rudder. Rudder can't direct you if you're not moving forward. If that works for you, good. Take it. It's in where you go next that makes the world of difference. So let's go back to our introduction. You actually get to inform the descriptor of your spirit. What might yours actually become? Your name, a short descriptor of your spirit so that people who know you and love you most know it. Again, don't make it religious because a lot of this is about you as a person connected deeply with God. Here's my favorite one. When I'm with her, it's evident she's been with God. There's something distinct about her. It's, uh, yeah, I can't even put my finger on it. She's way better than most people I know. Who doesn't want that? It's yours. Pray with me. Lord, it seems evident to me and I think to you, there's people here who want to move ahead. Give them the one step and then the next and then the next. Before they leave here today, have the image clear in their head of what that can look like and then what the next one or two steps can be. Make it so clear they can't miss it. Please. Amen. We're going to finish with a song. You decide what works best with you. You may want to write, sit down and write your next two steps. You may want to sit down and write the descriptor. We'll have a couple of prayer teams on the side if they're useful. A couple of you need to offload some old stuff. You know what it's like for you. Let's stand, shall we? Unless you want to sit and then stay.